Amen. Well, family, an absolute joy again to be with you. Uh, always so good to be with you. One of the things that I thoroughly enjoy about coming here is the sound and the, the music that this house releases, man. You can just stand and worship with these people all day long and you forget you still have to teach, amen? Uh, but it's powerful. It's powerful and we pray that the nations will hear your sound, amen? Well, we continue on the conversation that we started last night and uh, we're speaking under the central theme of apostolic generation. There's a few things we want to touch this morning. And I'll speak a little bit on the build-up to revival because I notice it's a key theme for this meeting. Uh, I think Pastor quoted that phrase severally. And uh, we're going to look at a build-up to revival and then touch a little bit on the centrality of grace. Come with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Uh, is Lecky Beercroft here? Uh, did he make it? Okay. It's one of the guys that said he'll be here at the meeting. He's probably running a bit late, but we'll see him afterwards. Luke chapter 1, and we'll read verse 16 to 17. And I was saying to Pastor, next time I come, I need to bring Tristan, which, you know, we were supposed to come on this trip, but with the challenges we experienced, it was impossible for him to make it too. Amen? Uh, but he'll come next time. He's quite eager to meet all of you. Amen? And Kenya said... I must tell you guys to stop bringing a father to Nigeria. So, don't kill the messenger, amen? I'm, I'm just conveying the message from Kenya. And I think she said, Bisola, she said you must make a skirt, amen? Uh, Abike, sorry. Abike, Kenya said you must make a, a skirt. I'll pay for it, don't worry, amen? Uh, she said I must ask you to make a skirt for I'll pay you for it, amen? Let's get into the word, enough of that. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. And we're going to read a few more verses. We're speaking a little bit on the build-up to revival because I notice it's a central theme under apostolic generation. And I want to touch a bit on the centrality of grace. We just touched on it. I just mentioned it last night, but I want to labor it a little bit this morning. Luke 1, 16 to 17, it says, And many of the sons of Israel will turn back to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit, and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, notice to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God takes more time preparing people than what he does preparing the encounter. Do you understand that? He takes more time preparing the people than what he does preparing the encounter. Very important that you take note of that because... The people that steward the moment is absolutely important to God. And I touched on that last night where I spoke about the stewardship of the moment and how we build it into something perpetual and into something lasting. So John comes, Jesus is about to come, and great revival is about to break out, but God spends more time preparing the people for that. Are you with me? Very key that you know that. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 41 to 42. And many followed him. John did not perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another. But everything he said about this man has come through, and many who were there believed in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice that the build-up to, to revival says that the custodian of that particular season did not perform 
many miracles. Are you following that? Let's go to Luke chapter 7, 31 and 34. And this is Jesus speaking. He's talking about a generation. He says, to what can I compare the men of this generation? What are they like? And then he says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to one another. We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he is demon possessed. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say, look at this glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now again, Jesus is highlighting the lack of discernment. Because the people had a prejudice towards that which God was doing. When John was not eating or drinking, they judged him. When Jesus came eating and drinking, they judged him too. So that speaks to a lack of discernment because they had both scenarios wrong. Now you heard me, it speaks to a lack of discernment. I want to speak about a build-up to revival and we're going to look at those points a little bit later. Let me say this to you. In any spiritual space where God is getting ready to do significant work, there is always pattern that precedes that, and we must understand those patterns. And the synergy and the movement from John the Baptist to Jesus Christ is interesting because it highlights several key factors that kind of becomes a default standard by which we judge a move of God. It highlights the ebb and the flow of God's Spirit. But watch this. Before God does dramatic work in a region as it relates to signs, miracles, and wonders, such a season is preceded by a strong teaching mo movement where there's generally very little or small percentage of miraculous activity. John the Baptist comes before Jesus Christ comes. Jesus is about to perform a lot of miracles. I mean, the Bible records all the significant miracles of Jesus and even the apostles that come after him. But the scripture says John came not performing any. And one of the things you have to understand is that that is sometimes how the Spirit of God moves because when God gets ready to prepare people for an outpour, you enter into what we call a word-only type of season. A word-only type of season. John performed no miracles, but he did a lot of teaching and preaching. A lot of teaching and preaching and a lot of prophetic pronouncements. And the scarcity of miracles does not necessarily denote the idea that God is not with the people. But it denotes the idea that God is shaping and configuring the people for what's about to come. And one of the reasons why God does that, that he builds us on teaching more than what he does on miracles, is because we tend as human beings to idolize the miraculous. Now don't get me wrong, God is committed to miracles. God will heal the sick, he will open the eyes of the blind, he will raise the dead. But we tend to develop a false sense of idolatry around those things when we are not grounded in the word. And so God will spend more time laboring the word, lest what he does becomes a form of idol worship. As human beings, we tend to gravitate towards that. And by default, certain experiences and certain moments of power can become a false form of worship or it can become a form of idolatry. Think about it. The scripture says that God himself buried Moses. And I always ask myself, why did God bury Moses? And the people don't know where God buried him. Because people would have built a pilgrimage pattern around the burial site of Moses. He's a great man. He performed great miracles. And you would see people converge on that place and it becomes a form of idolatry. And so sometimes God will 
raise us on teaching and move us away from our greatest encounters and experiences because it is the word that gives life. It is the word that sustains life. It is the word that preserves the soul. And so when we come into the miraculous, we must learn how to place a premium on the word itself. And so John comes, he performs no miracles. But it is not necessarily because God is not with the people. It is not because God's spirit is not with the people. It is not because the power of God does not reside in that particular space. But it is because God is formatting and shaping a people that can carry what comes next. And so God spends more time teaching us his word than what he does anything else. And when we reach a place of maturity as far as the word is concerned, God now begins to trust their generation with more of him. That generation now comes into more encounters. Now, if you notice the continent of Africa, and I probably throw it a little bit wide, but let's say at least the past 10 years, one of the things you would have noticed across our continent, South Africa, Nigeria, anywhere you go, you would notice that in places where there was a strong flow of miracles, whether those miracles were true or false, there was also a strong sense of idolatry. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so I can probably spend the entire session here just naming certain places and certain individuals that float strong in that. But you would notice there was a type of an idolatry that emerged in those type of places because there was not a strong word emphasis, even though there was a strong emphasis on miracles. But when you come to places where the miraculous begins to flow and there's a strong word foundation, you would notice that there's not that sense of false idolatry. Because what the word does is the word balances things out and it helps us to develop sound judgment. Sound judgment comes from a strong word foundation because what happens then begins to resonate with the word that is already in your spirit. And you can judge a moment accurately because the word is your foundation. And so John comes and for a season he just teaches. He performs zero miracles, he just teaches. But after him comes Jesus and it is miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Strange miracles. Walks on water. He turns water into wine. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He opens blind eyes. He just does miraculous things. But it is a season. See now, that's what pastor said. <laughs> and it is just a season. Of miracles, but it is preceded by a season of the word. This means that if you do not develop a strong relationship with God's word and interact with it daily, God cannot entrust you with the next. Because if he entrusts you with the next, it can become a form of idolatry or a form of false worship. And unfortunately, we have produced a generation of immature Christians that gravitates more towards the miracles than the word of God. They love more the power of God and they don't love the word of God. And that is dangerous because that speaks to the immaturity that Apostle Anselm was highlighting yesterday. He said we have big gatherings but it's immature. He said we have massive gatherings but there's immaturity in those places because the people are not raised on the word. And so before we come into significant revival, we go through what we call a word-only season. A word-only season. 
And a word-only season is absolutely necessary because it then becomes the foundations and it becomes the very thing that anchors your soul so that whatever comes next, you are able to interpret and engage it from a matured place with sound judgment. And so the scarcity of miracles is not necessarily judgment upon a place, but it is God preparing and configuring individuals to handle what comes next. And you would notice with every great revival, before the revival hit, there was just seasons of teaching. There was just seasons of teaching. You study the Azusa revival, one of the things they will tell you is that they came every night, they prayed and they taught. Every night for a period of time, they prayed and they taught the word. They prayed and they taught the word. They prayed and they taught the word. And afterwards, something exploded upon them, and there was miracles manifesting left, right, and center, but it was preceded by a word-only season. And so one of the things that an apostolic generation must understand is word-only seasons. Are you following me? Word-only seasons. Uh, In any environment where the miracles are the core driver, you only produce baby Christians They do not know how to imbibe the word and they do not know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Let me explain that to you. If you go to any place, any church, where there's a strong prophetic flow, but there's little teaching, you find babies in that church. You go to any church where there's a lot of miracles and there's little teaching, you find babies in those places. And you see them all over social media, how they debate. You understand what I'm saying? You check those debates, you like realize, nah, I'm not going to waste my time yet. You see them. They defend stupid things. They argue stupid things. And their ignorance begins to manifest because they exalt the miracle above the theology. And that is the danger. And so God will take more time teaching you the word so that your foundations are right, so that your configuration is right. And when your configuration is right, it then brings you into incremental levels of the miraculous. Are you following me? So John comes, he performs no miracle. No miracle, but as church. He raises nobody from the dead, but as church. He does not open blind eyes, but as church. He does not open deaf ears, but as church. And that continues for a season. And then Jesus comes and everything shifts. But there was a strong foundation that was laid so that when the miraculous hit, it does not produce the immature, it produces the mature. Are you following me? Because God is committed to maturity. That word maturity is our church's name really, teleos. Teleos means to be made matured. To be made matured based on Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore let us go on to maturity. Are you following me? And maturity is the most important thing when it comes to God weighing your understanding over things. God weighs how matured your understanding is of a thing. Are you following me? And so John does no miracles. He simply preaches. He just teach, he just teach, he just teach. And he does that for a season. But when that season comes to a halt and people are now filled to the brim, God then causes his spirit to break out over that region because the people have been raised on the word. And they can now be trusted with a higher dimension of manifestations and encounters. And the encounters after that season of word only are crazy. I mean, it's a crazy season. From Jesus all the way to the early apostles, we begin to witness some of the craziest encounters, some of the craziest experiences, and and, and strange miracles, men of God. I mean, Philip baptizes a man when they get out of the water. He's in another city. 
just strange miracles that starts happening. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And uh, fish and bread multiplied where crowds are fed. And you begin to see strange miracles. But it is preceded by a season of word only. And the word is important because the word literally is what sustains a believer. Jesus puts it this way. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he's literally telling people that the more you eat the word, the more life you get, the more nourishment you get, the more strength you get, the stronger you grow in the spirit. Are you following me? And those things are important, absolutely, absolutely important that we understand that. And we go through that season of word only. Because strong Christians understand the place of the word. Matured Christians understand the place of the word. Growing Christians understand the place of the word. Revival does not come if there's no strong word foundation. Revival does not come if there is no strong word foundation. Revival will not come. There must be a strong word foundation. And that is a prerequisite for revival. And so a build up to revival, you are going to go through seasons that we call word only. Seasons that we call word only seasons. Because God is teaching us how to live from the word and how to make the word our primary source of life. Are you following me? It nurtures maturity in people. Where they derive their comfort from the word of God and not just from the things of God. And it is not that God is against the miraculous. It is simply that God is formatting you for the miraculous. And so in seasons where nothing is shifting, you have to increase your word level. In seasons where you're trusting God for a miracle and it's just not forthcoming, you have to increase your word intake. In seasons where you are trusting God to move certain things by His mighty hand and it is not happening, you have to increase your word intake because a prerequisite for the miraculous is a strong word foundation. Now we're not talking about sporadic miracles, we're talking about a perpetual flow of the miraculous. you understand what I'm saying? Not sporadic manifestations. Once in a while something happens. We're talking about coming into that perpetual flow of it. The second thing that we have to understand as we get into this build-up of revival is that God spends a lot of time building compatibility. He spends a considerable amount of time building compatibility. And so the word-only season produces a compatible and a matured people because compatibility for the grace is built over a period of time. Scripture says in Romans 8.19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. The creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. And this waiting phase is generally when God is searching for compatibility where he wants to pour and where he wants to release. And compatibility is interesting because it weighs our capacity to respond in the correct and accurate way for what God wants to do in a particular season. Now, this is how the Spirit of God works. The Spirit of God hovers over people until he finds a people compatible for what he wants to do. Do you understand that? He hovers over a region. He hovers over people 
until he finds somebody compatible for what he wants to do. And you have to understand this, that the potential for God to, to release or to pour his spirit is always there. But the spirit will be suspended over a place until a compatible people emerges from that particular place. And so God spends a season, a considerable amount of time, building compatibility. Because if he does not find people that are compatible with what he wants to do, that moment is mismanaged. We steward that moment incorrectly. And a lot of people don't understand this. It is not just that God is pouring out his spirit haphazardly, carelessly. God searches for compatibility. And this is why you would notice the scripture always uses phrases like, Find me a man. Find me a people. Build me a man. Build me a people. It deals with issues of compatibility. And so, the spirit hovers, and the one that responds to it, the compatible one, then become the steward of that season. Now, I'll give you an example in scripture. And this is what a lot of people sometimes miss. Is when God speaks, even though God calls us specifically, even though we have distinct callings and distinct assignments, there are moments when a revival wants to eat the nation and God speaks generally. And the one that responds to that at the most compatible level becomes the steward of the moment. Let me explain that to you. You look at the book of Samuel where Goliath is every day testing the children of God. He's taunting them, he's inviting them. But what does the king do? The king makes a general statement. He says, whoever defeats this uncircumcised Philistine, this one will get blah, 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 blah. It's a general statement. David enters the arena and he responds to a general statement. So that word is hovering over the people. But he is the most compatible with that particular word. Now remember, the king made an offer to everybody made the offer to David, when you read the scripture, the offer was not made to David. The offer was made to everyone present. Is that not what the scripture says? He said, whoever, this is the person that will get the following. And then David responds to that word, and he becomes the steward of that moment. He becomes the steward or the custodian of that breakthrough. Now that is how the spirit of God operates. Even though we have distinct callings, there's a real dimension in the spirit where God is general. And the most compatible that responds to that particular moment become the steward and the custodian of that particular moment. Are you following me? And that is sometimes how revival works. So God will look at a nation or at a people and he would say, I want to pour out my spirit here. But the most compatible that responds in that moment, that discerns, that understands, become the custodian and the steward. Of that particular move of God in a particular season. Now the call for an apostolic generation to emerge. Is in response to what the Lord has been saying in the spirit. I want to pour out my spirit upon this nation. I want to pour out my spirit. But is there an apostolic generation that is compatible with the download of the spirit. That will own what the spirit wants to do. So God builds compatibility. That's why he took three years walking with his disciples so they could be compatible for the poor that was about to come. Are you following me? So that they are compatible with the poor that was about to come. It says there were many widows, but a prophet was sent to a particular widow. Were there not many widows in the city? 
but a prophet was sent to a specific widow because she was compatible with what God was doing in that particular moment, what God was doing in that particular season. And so an apostolic generation is compatible and conversant with the speaking of God. And what does compatibility mean? The ability to discern the moment. Number two, to understand the content required for the particular season. So when God gets ready to do a revival in a region, He says, I want to pour out my spirit. But then the spirit hovers until the compatible gets it. Until the compatible grasps it. Until the compatible attaches themselves to it. Until the compatible discerns it. And those then are the individuals who become the custodians of the move of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that is how revival works. And so John comes and he preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That repentance is a call to compatibility because the ones that repent are the ones that will get it, are the ones that will grasp it, are the ones that will understand it. Are you hearing me? And that is the Spirit of God. So when we say a call for an apostolic generation, there's a download of the Spirit that is hovering. Are you compatible to respond? Can you participate in what the Lord is doing? Can you understand what the Lord is doing? Can you attach yourself to what the Lord is doing? And so it requires that you discern the moment. And number two, it requires that you concern the content of that particular season. Because every season carries different content. Every season carries different emphasis. Every season prioritizes something different. Are you with me? This is why we have prophetic teams. Because prophetic teams creates the disciplines for a particular season. Are you with me? Very key that we understand that. And so the Spirit creates moments... But moments are sustained by content or the revelatory word of God. And so when we say it's a season, it's a moment that God creates. But then God also gives us the content for that moment. Are you with me? So that it can be sustained. Pastor uses the word curriculum. He gives us the curriculum for that particular season. And so discerning the season and then transacting with the content for that season are all the things that deals with issues of compatibility. This is why in every season God speaks differently. This is why in every season God raises up different apostolic voices that produces different content for that particular season. And as you journey with God, it is not that our theology is changing. It is just that a content is maturing because it is consistently a journey towards maturing what God is saying. Are you following me? Very key that we understand that a word does not change, but maturity levels changes all the time. Are you with me? We understand in part, but there are certain seasons where we understand better. We see in part, but there are certain seasons where we see clearer. You following me? Yes, sir. And so those things then become critical. And so John preaches a message, repent for the kingdom is coming. Repent because Jesus is coming. Repent for the kingdom is coming. Repent for Jesus is coming. And that repentance obviously also requires a... That they renounce certain things, how they interpreted certain things, how they perceive certain things. Repent from a way of thinking. Repent from a way of understanding. Repent from a way of discerning. So that you can be compatible with what God wants to do now. Are you following me? And that then becomes crucial. We're talking on a build-up to revival. It becomes crucial that we understand the levels of compatibility that's required for that. And so John's preaching is building compatibility for what's coming. 
It's building compatibility for what's coming. And there are several things that John mentions when he's busy building compatibility in the people. The first thing he says is make straight the way. Issues of perversion. Because when we talk about perversion, it is simply something that's been bent out of shape or something that's been made crooked. So one of the key things that John emphasizes is make straight the way. So he's addressing issues of perversion. And we spoke a little bit about that last night. Your heart can become perverted. Your understanding can become perverted. Your sight can become perverted. Your application of the things of God can become perverted. Your motive can become perverted. Your agenda can become perverted. And, 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 and generally, when God removes himself from a particular people, it is because perversion has crept into their hearts. You look at 1 Samuel. We spoke about it last night, about Eli a little bit. Why does God remove himself from that particular place? Even though they have worship, they have a construct of worship, it has become perverted. And so John is calling all the things of God to be straightened up. You understand what I'm saying? He's speaking against perversion, make straight the way. And so a compatible people understand that they first have to confront perversion in their heart. And generally, we, we generally don't think we deal with perversion, but all of us at some level can deal with perversion in our heart. All of us at some level can deal with perversion in our heart. It simply means to make crooked that which is straight. Uh, you can start out doing ministry with the right motive, and somewhere along it, you just do ministry for money. That's perversion. You can have an agenda of transformation when you start out in ministry, and somewhere along the line, you just do it to control people and to bully people. That's perversion. Because you're now power hungry. You are now authority hungry. You understand what I'm saying? And you use it to abuse people. That's perversion. You can use the prophetic to usher people into their destiny. But somewhere you can merchandise the prophetic and you use it to perpetuate a carnal agenda. That is perversion. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is perversion. And perversion is something subtle. And all of us at some level in our journey with God, we will be tempted. Because there's everything that you do for God, there's His way and there's your way. A pastor can start a church and the church can be small and he can be struggling. But in his mind, he knows how to grow that church. He knows what type of meetings to put together to pull a crowd. He knows what type of conversations to have to pull a crowd. That's perversion. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so John preaches for a season because he's building compatibility. And the first thing that he addresses is the spirit of perversion. Now, a generation that's going to come into revival must guard their heart against perversion. Because perversion is subtle. It just comes upon you. You look at Judas. He walked with Jesus for a season. And somewhere in it, Jesus says, the Bible says, and in that moment, Satan entered him. In that moment, Satan entered him. Which suggests that he was okay for a season. He was okay for a season. But something happened and his heart became dark. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And there is perversion. Even the way you submit, even the way you honor, perversion can easily climb into your heart. There can be a season where you understand we have to honor one another. But there can be a season where your honor is perverted. That's why even for us as pastors... We have to be discerning even in the space of honor. Because not everybody that honors you, honors you from a place of purity. Some honors you with an agenda. You understand what I'm saying to you? And that agenda later on manifests that you were kind because you needed this. You, 
because this was what you were going for. So the first thing that John preaches as he builds compatibility in a generation is perversion. Make straight the way. Because God will address the perversion that is at work in our hearts. Your service can become perverted. Your worship can become perverted. Your output can become perverted. Your, your, your commitment towards the things of God can become perverted. It is something that gradually grows and develops over a period. This is why Christianity is a journey of continuous introspection. Because our heart can go corrupt just like that. One simple offense and our heart can shift. One simple offense and your heart can shift. And your activity in the house of God and your activity in the spirit can have, take on a form of perversion. Are you following me? So John says, make straight the way. Why would he say that? Because worship in that context has become perverted. Service to God has become perverted. Temple activity has become perverted. And this is why he says, make straight the way. And so a prerequisite for us coming into revival is we will have to address perversion. Not just out of convenience, but because it's an absolute necessity. And so, we have to look at our preaching. We have to look at our prophecy. We have to look at our building. We have to look at our church temple activity. Has perversion entered our heart at some level? Simply what perversion means? To be bent out of shape. To be twisted. To be twisted a little bit to attain a certain uh, benefit for yourself. You understand what I'm saying to you? He says, make straight the way. He addresses issues of perversion in our worship. Issues of perversion in our construct. A prerequisite for revival is confronting personal perversion. And it is subtle. Listen to me. It is subtle. It is subtle. It is subtle. Remember a few years ago, I said to Marilyn, it's just people that always try to be kind towards us. I said, we should not take gifts from these people anymore because of this is what I'm sensing in my spirit. And the first, and immediately we released them from church. Guess what was the first thing? Oh, we helped the man of God so much. We gave him. <laughs> I said, you see why I stopped receiving things from them? Because their giving was perverted. You following me? Their giving was perverted. And I said, no, 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 we won't receive anything from them. So for years, we probably offended them by not receiving it. But we understood by the spirit that their giving was perverted. That's why Abram said, I'll take nothing from you. Lest you say you made Abram rich. There was perversion that was driving their generosity. Are you following me? As a spirit of manipulation. Because if you don't detect perversion in the kindness that people show you, you will owe them for the rest of your life. The discerning man can say no to good things. And I pray that discernment comes upon you. Second thing that he does is he speaks about the correct evaluation of a grace. The correct evaluation of a grace. We're talking about a build-up to revival. He speaks about the correct evaluation of a grace. This is John's preaching. He says, I'm not worried to untie his shoelaces. What is John saying? John is evaluating the grace of Jesus correctly. If there is no correct evaluation of a grace, there is no reward of a grace. He that receives a prophet, how? He that receives a righteous man, how? The correct evaluation of a grace. 
So let me bring that home. If God wants to cause a revival to break out in this church, the evaluation of the set man is key. It's key. You should not just know him as Pizek. You should know the grace that he walks under. And if you don't evaluate that grace correctly, you will never receive from that grace. This is why in a church like this, some can receive breakthroughs because of the man of God. And others can be in the same church and nothing ever happens for them. Because it is consistent with your evaluation of the grace. And this is why you would notice prophetic people generally flow strong in people that evaluate them correctly. Generally. Because that evaluation unlocks something. He that receives a prophet, how? In the name of a prophet. And, 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 and what people don't understand is that relationships are defined in levels. There's a level where he's your friend. There's a level where he's your father. There's a level where he's your uncle. There's a level where he's your cousin. But there's a level where he's the man of God. And whatever measure you receive him in determines the rewards that follow. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? This is why any anointed person, the people that sometimes receive the, mo- the least from an anointed person, has not redefined the relationship in its proper context. And so John is Jesus, the cousin of Jesus. But John says, I'm not worthy to untie shoelaces. They're family, they relatives, they blood. These are boys that grew up together probably. You understand what I'm saying to you? But when the spiritual moment hits, he says, I'm not worthy. What does he do? He evaluates the grace correctly. And the evaluation of the grace is not just a discernment, it's a choice. Because a whole lot of people think that you just discern prophets. No, you choose to believe it's the prophet. You don't just discern it's a prophet, you choose to believe it's a prophet. Do you understand the difference? A A lot of us reduce everything to spiritual discernment. There's a dimension in the spirit where you choose to believe and it has nothing to do with discernment. When Jesus performs the miracle of the increased fish, they didn't discern Jesus. They they chose to believe. Jesus said to them, cast your nets on the other side. These are experienced fishermen. They said, listen man, we've been fishing all night from experience and expertise. We know. That it's done. We're not catching fish today. By experience and expertise, we know it's not done. But nevertheless, we choose to believe your word. Do you understand the difference? It wasn't the moment where something hit them and they came into discernment. It was a choice. Because they speak their expertise. They say, man, I've been doing this for years. I can tell you now that there's no fish. But nevertheless, we choose to believe your instruction. And they throw it on the other side and the scripture says, there was a great catch of fish. So a whole lot of things in the church does not default to discernment. It defaults to choice. You have to choose whether you believe he's a prophet of God. You have to choose whether he's an apostle of God. And that choice is absolutely crucial for you coming into breakthrough. Now, John knew this was his homeboy. But when grace manifested, he says, I cannot untie this man's shoelaces. He was evaluating the grace outside of a relational context called cousins. 
And this is the challenge for most of us. This is why in this church, some can come into the miraculous because they've touched the anointed. And others can touch and nothing leaves. Jesus says, who touched me? He says, many people are touching you. He says, this was a different touch. This one was different. Because she chose to believe that if I touch, I can unlock something. You understand what I'm saying? This is many people are touching you. Are you foolish? I mean, come on. We're in the market. He says, this was different. This touch was very different. And the lady appears because she chose to believe. So the things of the Spirit does not default to your discernment. It requires your choosing. And so there must be the correct evaluation of a grace. So if God says he's a prophet, even if I can't see anything, I have to choose to believe. I have to choose to believe that this is a prophet. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's times where God will even in a church context like this say to you, Call brother so-and-so, let him pray for you. It's going to be a breakthrough for you. How do you know brother so-and-so? He's not even an ordained minister. Why would God? I mean, there's several guys above him. Why? You have to choose to believe. And so when John says, I'm not worried to untie, it is the correct evaluation of a grace. And God is committed to the correct evaluation of a grace. This is why for me as a servant of God, it's important that I always receive men of God in their measure. Always, without fail. I have to. I have to. There's times when I can joke and sit and joke and talk nonsense, but there's times when I know the moment they're shifted and there's something that wants to birth in this moment, there's something that wants to give. My evaluation must be correct in that moment. And I cannot despise myself of my breakthrough because I'm casual around the anointing. And this is the problem. We have developed a casualness with the anointing. We've developed a casualness. We interact casually with it. And we can't even discern the shift. And walking with a man like Pastor Kunli, one of the things that you have to understand, there's moments where he can be sitting with you and joking and, cu- and cracking jokes and stuff. But in that moment, there's a shift. And if you don't discern the shift, you will miss your breakthrough because you are married and you are reconciling the moment to your casual experiences with him. And you don't understand that spiritual moments can just hit us like that. And so John evaluates it correctly. And what we miss about that statement is these were cousins. These were cousins. John and Jesus were cousins. Jesus was not some prophet that John saw coming from another city. This was his cousin. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he says, I am not worthy to untie his shoelaces. The correct evaluation of a grace. As we come into revival, there must be the correct evaluation of a grace. And God will begin to raise up many men. What is your evaluation of it? Are you stuck on, can any good thing come out of? Are you stuck on, this is the carpenter's son? Are you stuck on those type of foolishness? You understand what I'm saying? Are you stuck on, is this not Mary and Joe's boy? There must be the correct evaluation of a grace. Amen? Amen. And then John makes another statement. He says, we're just touching on build up to revival. He says, I saw the spirit come down like a dove and it stayed on him. 
I saw the spirit come down like a dove on him and it stayed on him. He was discerning the movement of the spirit. Because the spirit of God was first with him. But it was now moving towards Jesus and things were beginning to shift. He was able to discern the shift. And this is one of the things that you have to understand if you are going to come into the move and into the power of God. You have to understand the movement of the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God does not always stay with the same people. It does not always stay in the same place. And John was able to track that movement of the Spirit. Are you hearing me? And then he understands transition. He says, I baptize you with water, but one coming after me will baptize you with fire. And again, he uses those things symbolically. But he understood that the substance of the spirit has shifted. He uses it symbolically, figuratively. But he's saying that the season has a different substance. There's a different substance that the season is built upon. There's a different substance that the season will be built upon. There's a different substance that the season will uh, be moved upon, propelled by. It's a different substance. You have to understand that the conversations that God is having with us is changing. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have to understand the content of the Spirit is changing. You have to understand that the revelation is shifting. You have to understand that God is releasing a different sound. The substance of the Spirit is different for the season. And we're going to have to embrace that and build with that. Do you catch me? And so he says, I baptize with water but the one coming after me is baptizing you with fire and you know there's a lot we can teach on that but what i want to lean in is that the substance of the season is changing this is why you would notice in a place like this your music is different from what is mainstream gospel the substance the sound is changing you understand what i'm saying to you the conversations you are hearing now coming from different pulpits in the nations of the earth it's different the substance is changing. It's shifting. Are you following me? We, we, we're no longer in a season of hype and sensationalism. Give me a J. Give me an E. Give me an S. Give me a U. Give me an S. What does it spell? There's power in the name of... We, we, we're no longer in that foolishness. You understand what I'm saying to you? Uh, we're having strong conversations because the substance is changing. Are you with me? No longer baby Christians, man. Remember that hero, man. Give me a J. <laughs> it, it, it happened here as well, eh? Ah, we're in a different season, my man. If today you can get on the pulpit and say, give me a J, sit down, amen? <laughs> sit down. Just sit down. You are not called for this time, amen? <laughs> just, just sit down. But he understood that there was a transition. The substance was changing. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? The substance was changing. And we have to understand that when we talk about revival, we must track the change of the substance. We must track the change of the conversation. Because in every outpouring, God speaks differently. In every outpour, God speaks differently. Now, let's run a little bit. He says, we played a flute... And you did not dance. We sang a dirge. And you did not weep. And both of those scenarios. It paints a picture. Where there is a lack of discernment. A lack of proper judgment. Are you following me? In other words. They were dealing with a people. That could not evaluate. The sound of the spirit. 
So when they were supposed to dance, they were not dancing. When they were supposed to weep, they were not weeping. They lacked the discernment of the season, the discernment of the moment, and their judgment was flawed. Now when God does a new thing, when God begins to usher in revival and God begins to move significantly by His Spirit, these are the type of things that God begins to weigh to see whether a generation is compatible for what He's about to do. And then Jesus says, what do I liken these kids like? They're like children in the marketplace. The marketplace is a place of transaction. It's a place where there's significant money being exchanged. That's a marketplace because people are selling and people are buying. But what he's saying is they are children in the marketplace because children do not understand the value of the transactions taking place in that space. You take a child to the marketplace, he does not know big money is being moved around in that space. You understand what I'm saying? For a child, it is just an environment or a space where they play, they have fun. But an adult understands that there's the movement of money in the space. So Jesus says, what can I liken this generation to? They are like children in the marketplace. They are in a place of significant value, significant transaction, significant exchange, but they cannot discern it. But they cannot discern it. They cannot grasp what's happening. They cannot discern the movement of resources. They cannot discern what is happening behind the scenes. They are playing in the place of significant value. And then he says, we, 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 we sang a song, you did not dance. You could not discern the sound. He says, we sang a dirge, you did not weep. They could not discern the sound. And so when the Spirit of God gets ready to be placed upon a people or to be poured out in a certain space, one of the things that's going to be key is how you discern the space, how you discern the moment. And Jesus says those that are not discerning are like children in the marketplace, a place of significant value, but you're playing there. A place of great transaction and great exchange, but you are playing there. You don't know the value of the space. Now what happens with us in a season of revival, you can come into a church like this and you can easily judge everything on the surface and do not know the transactions of the spirit that is taking place even in a gathering like this. For example, last night and even yesterday in the morning, we had a significant move of God's spirit and you can casually sit there because you don't know the value of what's happening. You don't know the transactions of the spirit that's taking place. And what we've experienced over these two days was the spirit transacting with flesh. It was the spirit transacting with men. But some of you are so out of it, you are like children in the marketplace, that even though we are transacting with word, with revelation, with prophecy, you're not getting it. Because you're missing the frequency of the spirit. And he says, what can we liken this generation to? They are like children in the marketplace. And that is one of the primary reasons why we continue to miss revival. Because God is in the place and we don't know it. God is pouring out His Spirit and we cannot pick up the frequency of the Spirit. The Spirit is trying to penetrate our spirit, man. And we are rejecting it because we... Back into this now, but just for a few seconds. Increase my sensitivity. Increase my discernment. We're dealing with flawed judgment. We're dealing with flawed judgment. We'll get into the teaching now. We still have time, but just for a few seconds. 
increase my discernment, Lord. There are significant transactions taking place. Significant, significant transactions. Significant transactions. Significant transactions. Chekroboria broshadei. Krapadasia noshkadei. Rebebesia neshadei. Increase discernment. Increase discernment. Sensitivity of the spirit. Sensitivity of the spirit. Sensitivity of the spirit. Pekrodoshie. Ah, we'll know the value, Lord. We will know the value of the space. We will know the value of the moment. We will know the value of the space. We will know the value of the moment. We are dealing with flawed judgment. We are dealing with flawed discernment. We are dealing with flawed judgment. We are dealing with flawed discernment. Come on, come on, come on. There's a transaction. We are transacting with a spirit. There's a great exchange. We are transacting with a spirit. Krabadaria broshadar lababashia neskede. Shekrebe chadrabaria broshadar. Lakrabaria broshadar lababashia neskede. Kekrodosia noskede. Take your time, take your time. Kiel elementa rebebesi elementoskede. Rababasia broshkedar. Shakrabaria broshkedar lababasia noskede. Rekrabaria broshkedar lababasia noskede. Nenkradaria broshkedar lababasia noskedor lobobosia. Shekleberia brashadar la babasia noskede. Rakrabaria broshkedar la babasia noskedar la babasia noskede. Rapkredaria braskadoria broshkedor la babasia noskede. Rabararia broshkedar la babasia noskede. Rakrabaria broshkedar la babasia noskedar. Rakrabaria broshkedor la babasia noskede. Rakrabaria broshkedar la babasia noskedai. Rekrabaria broshkedar la babasie. Shekleber lebebesia noskedai. Krabararia broshkedor la babasie. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. Take your seats for a few minutes if you can. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that again, man. But sometimes you just have to capture the moment. So there must be the correct evaluation of things. So just what we have to evaluate correctly. We have to co- evaluate the time correctly. The space, the man, the moment. Those are key areas that we have to evaluate and discern correctly. We have to discern the times correctly. We have to discern the space correctly. We have to discern the moment correctly. We have to discern the man that God is using in that moment correctly. And one of the things you have to understand in revival is that God uses anybody. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? He uses anybody. So we cannot afford in the season to be like children in the marketplace that do not know the value of the transaction. That do not know the value of the transaction. Are you hearing me? Very, very key that we understand that. And so before we get into a revival, God is going to address flawed judgment. He's going to address flawed judgment. And unfortunately, most of us, our judgment has been shaped by the culture. It has not been shaped by the Spirit of God. This is why our definition of what is powerful and what is not powerful is so messed up. You understand what I'm saying to you? 
I keep on going back to the example you used the other night where they were having temple practice ritualistically, but God was meeting with a group of 120 in an upper room somewhere. Now, in that particular cultural context, you could easily think that where it's happening was in the temple worship. Easily. You could easily think that the temple worship is the place where it was happening. But where does God's spirit show up? A small group of people that are rejected. A small group of people that are hiding for their lives. A small group of people that think the government and the authority is going to come for them. A small group of people that have just gone through the most traumatic experience ever. Because what we sometimes miss about the upper room is that it, this was a group that have just gone through trauma. They've lost their savior. There's a story going around that he didn't actually resurrect and a whole lot of foolishness. The Savior appears to them. They're hiding somewhere because the authorities might come for them too because they were part of the group. A group of rejected people. And it is in that space where God shows up. They had to discern the time. They had to discern the moment. They had to discern the man. And all of that brings them into a significant outpouring. In the Nigerian context, you can easily think that a gathering like this is insignificant. But I'm telling you, since day one that I've stepped in here, has been significant transactions happening in the spirit. Now, I've just been making a whole lot of notes and mental notes about some of the things that's been released here. And it resonated so strong with my spirit, man, because I had to reconcile some of that with conversations we had back home. And I realized the spirit of God is one. The spirit of God is one. I even text my wife. I said, you know what? They were talking about this and that. This is what we were talking about a few months ago. What I said God would do, how we would do it and stuff. And I come into this place. We did not speak about that. Because the spirit is one. And so there must be issues of judgment that God fixes. And this is why you are going through a significant season where your judgment is being checked. Now here's the thing that, that a lot of us miss. Is that when God is busy aligning your discernment and aligning your judgment, the temptation, or let me put it this way, the content that corrupts judgment will come to you. That's why you have to track conversations that is trying to corrupt your judgment. Do you, you, you get what I'm saying? So if I say to you, let me give you an example. If I say, I believe that God is using Aresola and just illustration purposes, and that she's, she's the prophet of God. The moment I make that decision, I can meet somebody in the street that has an opposite conversation about her to me. What's happening? My discernment's being challenged. Because the devil will always challenge your discernment. Do you understand what I'm saying? And this is the thing, Christians walk so casually that we think that if we've discerned, the devil will not challenge their discernment. Let me help you. The devil will challenge your discernment through slander, through gossip, through foolishness. Discernment is always challenged. In as much as people believe Jesus was a prophet, there was a whole lot of slanderers going around saying he's a false prophet. Their discernment was challenged. In as much as the people believed Moses was the prophet of God sent to them, there was a whole lot of people in the camp that challenged it. This can't be. This man can't be the man of God. Why are we in the wilderness? There's no ways. This is the man of God. You read it the other day. There's no ways this is the man of God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? 
because it's always a contentious space. Discernment is a contentious space. And the devil does not leave your discernment unchecked. Oh, he'll challenge it. He'll challenge it. Uh, From day one, he challenges our judgment of things. From day one. Uh, The Lord said we should not eat of that particular tree. Oh, did the Lord really say that? A judgment was correct. Understanding of the instruction was correct. But he challenged it until she doubted it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Her first response was correct. The Lord said we should not partake in this. She had it sorted. But he kept on challenging it until she doubted it. And when her discernment was flawed, she robbed herself of a significant moment. And so, when we come into discernment, trust me friends, it will be challenged. It will be challenged. The devil will not leave you with correct discernment. He will challenge it. And you have to decide what you believe. You have to decide in that moment what you will believe. Are you with me? We live in a crazy time, man. We live in an absolutely crazy time. We have people that are becoming famous on the back of corrupting people's judgment. You go on to social media, these bloggers, what do they do? They just corrupt people's judgment. Somebody believes in the church, believes in God, believes in generosity, believes in the doctrines of the faith. You have an old blogger that takes little snippets of teachings. And what does he do? He makes you doubt your judgment. It makes you doubt your judgment. This is why even the space called social media, if you are not spiritually mature, get off. I promise you, if you are not spiritually mature, leave that space. It will corrupt your judgment. It will corrupt your discernment. It will corrupt your understanding. You, You know, it used to be a fun space, but more and more I'm realizing that it's a space where the enemy corrupts those that are still babies in their faith. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Because every day people's beliefs are challenged. And if you are not grounded in the faith, you will believe these things. And so, children in the marketplace miss their moment. A place of significant transaction. But they cannot discern it because they are too immature to know what's happening. They are too immature to understand the value of the marketplace they don't know it you understand what i'm saying you go with your child into an expensive shop what do they do they just pick things from and you're like hey you're gonna break that thing put that thing because the child do not know the value of the thing you know it that's why you are careful in that space and so when revival comes correct judgment correct evaluation correct discernment and i'm telling you now servant of god you're Judgment will be challenged in this particular season. You come to a church like this, as powerful as our experience is here, you get home, your judgment of the moment is challenged. Do you get what I'm saying? Man, why do you believe in that church? Why do you even go there? You are being brainwashed. They took your brain out and they put Pizek's brain in your head. <laughs> but what's, what, what is that? What is that? It's your judgment and your discernment being challenged. 
Do you get me? It's your judgment and your discernment being challenged because your judgment and your discernment, same thing, it will be challenged. And you have to choose to believe. Are you with me? You have to choose to believe. And so the build up to revival, you're going to have to deal with flawed judgment. You will have to deal with flawed discernment. Amen? Amen. And it's a sensitive space that we have to navigate. It's a sensitive space we have to navigate. And it's so subtle. It's so subtle. One wrong move and you can think God is not with somebody. One stupid thing and you can think God is not in that place. One offended person and you can think God is not with those people. One stupid conversation and you can think God is not there. After all you've experienced, one stupid thing can pull you from the grip of grace. After all you have encountered, one stupid thing can pull you from the grip of grace. And when you look back over the years, you realize that it was pettiness that pulled you from the grip of grace. Insignificant things, stupid things that does not even deserve your attention. Does not even deserve your attention. You understand what I'm saying? But we lean in strong on this foolishness. Guard your discernment if you are going to come into significant power. Guard your discernment. Guard your discernment. Guard your discernment. Absolutely guard your discernment. So let's move on. And you also have to understand the build-up to revival is what I call generational variance. Generational variance. And I want to labor this a little bit for you. Variance. Variance. No, the pronunciation. Sorry, man. You know, South Africans don't think they have an accent. Sorry. John the Baptist and Jesus are born more or less in the same window period. But they both represent two different wineskins and two different generations. Because spiritual generations are not age compatible, but they are understanding compatible. That means you can form part of a new generation even if you are old because it's your understanding that matters, not your age. It's not your age, it's your understanding. John the Baptist and Jesus are the same age on paper, but in two different generations. Two different generations. Because the things of the Spirit is understanding, not age. This is why you can have an old man in this revival. And he will be relevant to what God is doing. And you can have a young man in the days gone by part of that movement because he does not have the understanding of what's happening. Do you catch what I'm saying? You have young men that don't get it. You have young men that don't understand what God's doing. You have young men that are stuck. Because... Revival is not a reward for your age. It's a reward for your understanding. And so John and Jesus, same age. Same age. But two different generations. And Jesus highlights that. Because John was the last of the law. Jesus is born of a woman. There's no one greater than John. But then he makes another statement because the season has shifted. But the least in the kingdom... Is greater than. And what does it do? He shows us two distinct seasons. Two distinct seasons. That was not reconciled with age. But it was reconciled. With an understanding. And so one of the things you have to understand. Is that. Revival. 
deals primarily with your understanding of the moment, the time, and the season. Man of God, we can be in this space and you can say God is doing a new thing. And then somebody in this meeting can be stuck in where your church was four years ago. And not be part of what God is doing today. Because that was their greatest moment. And so it blows my mind when I look at this. John and Jesus, same age. Different wineskin. Different wineskin. Because it has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with understanding. Born of a woman, no one greater than John. But the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Because the season has shifted. And this deals with what I call a generational variance. Different. So John was the law. Jesus was grace. And it's interesting to note that the most age in the law is a baby in the new. It's crazy. The most aged in the law is a baby in the new. Because every new season requires of you to become born. Aha. So when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus makes a profound statement. He says, you are the teacher of Israel. But then he brings him into a smaller level and he says, but to inherit what I carry, you have to be born again. And so he was not willing to compromise his seniority of a previous season to enter the next phase as a baby. Every new season requires of us to be born again and to be baptized into that new thing God is doing. And so revival is exciting, but every cycle you started out as a child again. And so he says to him, he says to him, he says, you are the teacher of Israel. You carry rank. In this context, you carry serious rank. People know you, then you carry rank. But to inherit what I'm about to give, you must become born again. You must be a child again. You must be born again. And this is what you have to understand about the revival. Revival is not a reward for your rank. It's a reward for your humility. Can Nicodemus abandon his rank to be rewarded with what's coming? Can Nicodemus abandon his rank to be rewarded with what's coming? Now, why am I saying that to you? I'm saying that to you because if you are going to journey with God, you have to understand the cycles of how God operates. In the kingdom, it is not about aging. It's about renewal. Listen to me. The things of the Spirit is not how old I get in the revelation. It's about renewing in the new. John was aged in an old wineskin. Nicodemus was aged in an old wineskin. But these young guys that were now called the apostles, they were renewed in a new wineskin. And they became the men that turned the world upside down. The problem sometimes with why some of us never come into revival is because we are defending our rank of a previous season. And one of the things that I can tell you that's going to happen in this particular season, God could care less about your rank in a previous season. God could care less about your rank in a previous season. This is why, and again I say this with all humility, I say this with all sensitivity, the generation that's emerging now, 
are considered children, but they are teaching like men that are mature. They are teaching like people that have been around for a very long time. They are carrying a crazy grace. And you would wonder, where does this wisdom come from? What manner of a wisdom is this? They have not lived that long to speak like that. Because the kingdom deals with renewal. And so Nicodemus never forms part of the new move of God. Because he's not willing to abandon the rank from a previous season. John the Baptist is the highest ranking in the law in that particular moment. But he does not enter into the next. And Jesus draws an analogy. He says the least is greater than him. And immediately addresses how the season can make rank obsolete. And so one of the things you have to understand about a revival is that a revival makes rank obsolete. Ah. Revival makes rank obsolete One of the reasons why a lot of old wineskins cannot come into what God is doing Is because they're contending for rank They're contending for their space They want to be important men But revival makes rank obsolete And this is why most people tend to reject it Because it will address their rank And so John and Jesus Born around the same time. But they represent two completely different wineskins. Two completely different generations. Two completely foreign and opposite things. Even though they were born around the same time. And so when you come into revival, you have a choice to embrace what God is doing. Or you can be the greatest in the last move of God. That's not, a, that's not a title you want when God is moving. Amen? That is not a title you want when God is moving. Because in the kingdom, we don't age with a revelation. We renew with a new one. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You don't get old with an old revelation. You renew with a new thing God is doing. Talk to me, somebody. John and Jesus, the same age. But one was an old wineskin. And one was a new wineskin. And that's crazy to think about. One was an old wineskin, one was a new wineskin, even though they were the same age. Even though they were the same age. And revival comes and it makes your rank obsolete. Because the least in the new move is greater than the highest ranking in the old move. I know we don't like saying those things because in the African context it's a bit offensive, but it is what it is, amen? It is what it is. Amen? Amen. Somebody say, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. Another line that we use at home when you say things that are offensive is, let it fall where it falls. Somebody say, let it fall where it falls. Amen. Now, let me just touch briefly because we're coming to a close. I want to touch a little bit on the centrality of grace and... uh, then we're going to just go into a time of prayer. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Now, most of us have the misconstrued notion uh, that we arrive at certain places in the realm of the spirit independent of men. And it sounds profound when we propagate the idea of autonomy. But in the kingdom, you're not autonomous. In the kingdom, you are always the offspring of something or somebody. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Apostle Paul made several such statements. That speaks to that idea. 
And, and, and that's the problem because I said it last night that the spirit of this age promotes the idea of independence and autonomy. That is not kingdom. The kingdom does not promote the idea of independence and autonomy. Everybody is the result of somebody that has gone before them. And it is key that we understand that. And Paul began to express what I call the centrality of grace. Go with me to Ephesians 3.2. Ephesians 3.2. He says, Surely you have heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. It's profound because he says, God gave it to me. I was the first person he gave it to. And I then became a distributor of this grace to you. I then became a distributor of this grace to you. Let me give you another scripture quickly. 1 Corinthians 3.10. 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God given to me. Again, given to me. Given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I lay the foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. And then Jesus explains the same concept in a very different way. Go with me to John 15 verse 5. I want to show you how the apostles build it. It deals with the centrality of grace. John 15 verse 5. This is how Jesus described the same concept. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me. And I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, in both scenarios, or those three scriptures that I gave you, there was a central figure to what was dispensed. In Ephesians, the central figure was Paul. In Corinthians, the central figure was? And in John, the central figure was? Jesus. But what they do is they trace the grace back to a central figure. One of the things that you cannot eliminate from the grace that you are operating and functioning in is the centrality of grace. Because if God opens up something for you, He does not send an angel, He sends a man. Angels are messengers, not teachers. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Jesus is a teacher, the Holy Spirit is a teacher, and men are teachers. And so Jesus then begins to emphasize the centrality of grace. This means that a whole lot of you did not have certain things open for you spiritually until you tapped the grace. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Until you tapped the grace. And when you tap the grace, suddenly certain things began to open for you and it started making sense for you. And your understanding of things, your evaluation, not just of him, but also your evaluation of yourself, then began to change, then began to shift. But you were able to touch a grace that God gave a man to reach you. And so when God raises up apostolic voices, he he raises them up as gateways and as portals for you so that certain things can reach you. And so Paul says, the grace given to me for you. 
the grace given to me for you. And it is key that we understand that. And Jesus says, I am the vine. He who abides in me bears much fruit. And so the branches cannot exist without the vine because the vine then becomes the life source for the branches. When you're in an apostolic house, the man that watches over your soul becomes a life source for your soul. And we have developed a false gospel that eliminates the place of men. It's a false gospel that eliminates the place of men in our life, not understanding that God gives them something to give to us. Are you following me? And so we must understand how grace works and how grace functions. Uh, Paul calls it the seal of his apostleship. He says even, 1 Corinthians 9, 2, even if I am not an apostle to everyone, surely I am your apostle. For you are the seal of my apostleship to the Lord. The word seal here, and I just want to labor this a little bit. I I don't have too much time, but we're going to pray. I want to pray. The word seal here comes from the Greek word, spragizo. And it signifies, in olden days, it signified a type of a ownership and a type of a security. Uh, And sealing in the ancient world served almost like a legal signature, which guaranteed the contents of what was sealed. So, so, So when you watch these old movies, you would notice they would seal this thing with their ring and they would seal it but but that seal was a guarantee that the content was legit do you get what i'm saying so if somebody brought that from me from the king and he brought it to me the seal was evidence that the content was not tempered with because it was sent from the king now in a spiritual context what 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 paul was saying when he said you are the seal of my apostleship what he was literally saying is because i watched over your soul for a season I can guarantee the content of your spirit as I send you to others. Do, do, do you understand the depth of that? Let, 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 let me try and explain that. So, try and give you a scenario of what he meant with a seal of my apostleship. So, let's say I'm in South Africa and I call Pastor Kunli and he says to me, Listen, man, I'm sending Obi to you. Uh, and I say to him, Listen, I need an administrator in church. He says to me, I'm sending Obi to you. And Obi will do whatever you need him to do. He's trained for that. Obi then, his word then, is the, Obi is the seal of his apostleship because he can guarantee what Obi will deliver to me because he has labored over his soul for a season. So his word then becomes a guarantee that I have the right man. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, it's when you read the letter of Philemon where Paul endorses one young man. And he says, I know we messed up. I know this young man was a problem to you. But I can guarantee you that he's different now. He's the seal of my apostleship. I labored over him. So what he was saying is that as I pour into you, there's then a certainty of the sin dimension that comes upon you that I can send you because I'm sure the content is not tempered with. So what teaching does... In as much as you receive from my teaching, it builds certainty in me that you can be sent. And that's why it says they are the seal of my apostleship. I can guarantee their content. So when I come to Nigeria, there are certain people that pastor assigned to assist me. Why would you have such confidence in them? 
Why would he have that confidence in them? Why would he be sure they will not annoy me? Why would he, why would he be certain? Because he labored over them. They are the seal. He guarantees the content. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that is what Paul meant. So here's the thing. When somebody labors over your soul, what you carry is as a result of their labors. Now I know you've been taught autonomy. I know you, you're sitting there and you think it's your prayer life. I know you're sitting there and you're thinking it's your own study life and, and how deep you are in your walk with God. Yes, that contributes to it. Yes, God will use you to a certain extent. But it is the labors over your soul that guarantees your content. And this is why Paul used phrases like the seal of my apostleship. And so the idea was that he would seal that and he would guarantee that the content is legit. And so the teaching of the word builds legitimacy in your spirit. And we then, as your leaders, get to a place where we can vouch for you because you are demonstrating that you have received what we have taught. Do you get what I'm saying? That's why the people use it as an insult. I said it to you last night. Say you a small PZ. It's not an insult. That should be a compliment. Yes, sir. Because you have caught it. Yes. You have grasped it. You have tapped into it. You understand what I'm saying to you? And that is what he meant when he says, you are the seal of my apostleship, which means that your functionality outside is as a result of my pouring in you. Now, when you break free from the house, you might be able to retain the methods of the house, but you will not be able to retain the power of the house. Because methods can be learned. But power is given. Power is given. And you would notice this. I've seen this in real life, in real time. I've seen it. I had one young man that was serving under me. You know, I flow sometimes in prophetic worship and stuff. And he would write songs. And he would write beautiful songs. And you were there with some of those songs when you were there. And uh, he would write beautiful songs. And then he broke free from us. Uh, and then he released a song. I wish I could play that song for you guys, but that would make me an evil man, amen? <laughs> Terrible song. Terrible song. I'll play the song for you only. But don't share that song with, with anybody. And you know, I was looking at that, not from a judgmental or critical space. I was trying to understand. And then it dawned upon me that when the seal is broken, the content is not guaranteed. When the seal is broken, the content cannot be guaranteed. And and again, I'll say that in a critical way. I say that just as illustration purposes. Now, you can take that same illustration in your local church. You can track anybody where the seal's been broken. The language is no longer the same. The sound is no longer the same. The pour is no longer the same. Because when the seal is broken, the content cannot be guaranteed. And so when we understand the centrality of an apostolic grace, there are certain guarantees that is built into your spirit, man, where the content can be guaranteed as legit. That's not just true musically. That's true on all aspects and all dynamics of life.
Now, the activity can be ongoing, but it can be powerless. And a whole lot of us make the mistake that because we're still active, we're powerful. No, no, power is given. Activity is borrowed, it's learned, but power is given. This is why the sons of Sceva could not drive out a demon because there was no seal that guaranteed the content of their spirit. And trust me, man, you'll meet some demons, like the sons of Sceva, they will strip you naked, amen? Demons and demons can be very pompous and arrogant. I mean, well, what, what arrogant demon says, I don't know you, who are you? <laughs> So it guarantees the content. And so Paul was very deep when he said, you are the seal of my apostleship. You are my offspring. You carry my DNA. I opened your understanding. I imparted in you. I activated you. I affirmed you. I established you. You are because of the grace that I gave you. Are you with me? And this is one of the things you have to understand. Because when you don't understand this, you will develop a false sense of autonomy. A false sense of independence. And that is where the danger is. And so the faith community is an interwoven reality. Where somebody pours and empty vessels receive. I'm connected to my spiritual father's apostle Michael Scantlebury. Before I met him, I did not travel. I did not write books. I did not do schools of ministry. Even though the potential in me was there. I could not bear those realities. I met him. And we're together for 16 years now. And when I connected with him, suddenly I entered a space in my spirit life where I started writing books. I was able to produce schools of ministry content. I was able to do all these things. I start, nations started opening for me. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that it was the grace of this man. Because the question is simple. Why didn't I do it before I met him? Very simple. It's not even deep. Very simple. It's not deep. You understand what I'm saying to you? Because before that, I, did not, I didn't do any of that. He unlocked something in me. He poured something in me. And I then became a guarantee of his apostleship. And so one of the things that God is going to challenge, as far as the apostolic generation is concerned, is the obsession with independence and autonomy. Because everybody's in a period where they are self-made. Everybody's just self-made. I made myself. Nobody made themselves. Nobody made yourself. Even if you're a multi-self-made millionaire. No, somebody gave you a contract. Do you understand what I'm saying? Somebody gave you a loophole. Somebody gave you an open door. Somebody gave you an interview. Nobody's self-made. So somebody said to the other guy the other day, it's time the nation's open for you. The guy don't have that grace. But you see, we just hype each other in our carnality. There's a system in the kingdom. There's a system in the kingdom. There's an order in the kingdom. You look, listen to those beautiful sounds that this worship team is releasing. But you trace it back to this man. He's a worshiper. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? He's a worshiper. And even though they're talented, even though they're brilliant, he unlocks something in them. We're not denying their talent. We're not denying your efforts. But there's something he unlocked in you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So there's what we call the centrality 
of grace. Jesus sent out 70. On their own, they could do nothing. Then Jesus raised up another 12. On their own, they could do nothing. It's the centrality of grace. And God raises up apostolic voices in your life so that you can release a certain sound, so that you can release a certain unction. That's what God does. And so you need to get rid of, because it is not a kingdom mindset, independence and autonomy. And even though you become a superstar, what you are comes from somewhere. Yes, Who you are comes from somewhere. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you, you guys are busy raising up some of these guys as individual artists. It's beautiful, it's powerful, but that comes from somewhere. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So Paul speaks to this and he talks about, you are the seal of my apostleship. So how do you know? How do you know you've been under an apostle? A people that had zero understanding now carry understanding. Yeah. A people who had zero knowledge now have knowledge. Yeah. A people that have zero content now are able to produce content and to produce at a certain level in a certain measure. Because what apostles do is they fill empty vessels to the brim yeah. so that those vessels can become functional at some level. But an apostle is a gateway into certain revelation. Paul says, the revelation of grace given to me for you. So they came into the understanding as a result of the understanding he came into. Now does God use us? Absolutely. Does God empower us? Absolutely. Is God with us? Absolutely. But there is always a life source for everything that is operational in your life. As things that I trace directly back to my apostle. Directly, I trace it directly back to him. And those things are active and operational in my life because of him. Yeah. I cannot claim any glory for that. You understand what I'm saying yeah. to you? And so what you have to understand is that as a local church, never ever, an instruction to you, never ever, never ever assume that you got into this level of understanding without an apostolic grace watching over you. Only the proud does that. Humble people understand that nobody is self-made. Slip up your hand, begin to speak to him. Take a few seconds, begin to speak to him. As apostles, we must be able to guarantee your content. How many of you can say with a clear conscience, Pastor can guarantee my content? Talk to me. Pakronoshia brashadaria bresadai. Rakrabaria broskador loboboshia noshkadi. Come on, just take five minutes and push in strong. Sekreberia broskadoria broskadar. Lapradaria breshkadai rababashia noshkadi. Understanding, Lord. Quicken our understanding. 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 Quicken our understanding, quicken our understanding, quicken our understanding, quicken our understanding, quicken our understanding.
Raprodoria broșădei rebebesia noșcădar la babasie. Raprodoria broșcădor la bobosia noșcădar ia breșcădai. Secreberia broșcădor la bobosie elementoșcădei. Secreberia broșcădar Grace Lord, release great grace. Grace for exploits. 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 Grace for exploits, grace for exploits, grace for exploits. Și el amândă se rebesia noșcădei. Racrabar le bebesia broșcădor la bubosie. Racrabar ia broșcădar, no coria broscădai. Racrabar ia broscădar la babasia noșcădai. Nencrabar ia broscădar la babasia la lamantoșcădei. Racrabar ia broscădor la bubosia noșcădai. Rapcrodor ia broșcădar la babasia noșcădei. Shakraba, lebebesi el elementos kedei. Grace for exploits. Grace for exploits. Grace for exploits. Understanding of what is here. Understanding of what is here. Karabaria broshadei lebebesi el elementos kedei. Shakrabe, shakrabe, shakrabaria broshadei. Nenkrabaria broskador lobobosi el elementres kedaria. Sakraba, rekodoria broshkedar. Lacrabaria broshkedei lebebesie neskedei. The seal of the apostleship. The seal of the apostleship. A guarantee of your spirit man content. A guarantee of what's in you. Kaprodosie neskedei. Shabladaria broshkedar lababasia noskedei. Nenkreber lebebesia broshkedor lobobosie. Shakrabaria broshkedar lababasia noskedei. Nankrabar la babasia broshkedar la babasia breshkedai Sheprederia broshkedai la babasia noshkedai le bebesie Sheklaburia broshkedai Ramprodoria broshkedar la babasia la lamantai la babasia broshkedai Rakrodor lo bobosie breshkedar ya breshkedai Nenkreder le bebesie le lemeskedoria broshkedor Lokroboria broshkedar la babasia neskedai In Jesus name, in Jesus name 
And so we decree now that your understanding is opened. Declare now that your ears are open. You can hear that your eyes will see the greatness of God. The Lord is pouring fresh oil. I've been seeing that throughout these meetings. That the Lord is pouring fresh oil upon your head. But before this conference is open, over, you will begin to have new understanding. You will begin to see at a higher level. Your spirit man will literally be open for the activity of the spirit. And even at night as you sleep, you'll begin to come into dreams. Dreams of the spirit. Dreams of the spirit. There's a higher dimension of the dream realm that will begin to open to you. There's a higher dimension of the dream realm that will begin to open to you. Record those dreams. Record them. Record them. Record them. Because there's significant download and significant transaction with your spirit, man. Listen to me. One of the things the Lord said to me about this conference is that he's transacting with our spirit, man, directly. Don't miss the exchange. The exchange does not happen at the end of the message. The exchange happens throughout the teaching of God's word. And your spirit man is open for greater activity of the spirit. One of the things that I'm seeing is that you are tapping into a deeper dimension in the dream realm. Record those dreams because it's in those dreams God will begin to open things. God will begin to give new revelation. God will begin to give new understanding. It will be detailed dreams. For some of you it will even be in terms of how you run your business. Those type of things. But watch, I'm telling you now. There's great activity happening in the spirit. Great, great activity happening in the spirit. Be extremely sensitive. Be extremely sensitive to what the spirit of God is doing and what the spirit of God is releasing. It's a time to be spiritually sensitive. Because moments will just happen like this. One after the other. One after the other. One after the other. Our eyes are open. Our ears are open. And our minds comprehend the things of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Put your hands together as the man of God comes.